We learn when we listen. Welcome to Green Mike, an Edison Energy and Altonex Energy podcast, where we invite you into today's most compelling conversations happening in clean energy and sustainability. Welcome, everyone, to the Edison Energy Green Mike podcast. I am Rob Federighi, the VP of Sales and Marketing Globally for Edison Energy, and I am very excited to be joined by our friend and partner, who is the co-founder and principal at Renew Energy Partners, Mr. Charlie Lord. Hello, Charlie. How are you doing today? I'm great. It's good to be here. We love our partnership with Edison, and I'm thrilled to be on the podcast with you. Excellent. Well, likewise. And, you know, this is really timely. We've been seeing some interesting trends in the market and obviously have been collaborating much more recently on financing solutions for uh, really what we call portfolio decarbonization. So whereas in the past we would see kind of one-off project financing, we're getting many more requests from people and we're also advising people to think about things a little bit differently for the big energy infrastructure and energy efficiency projects that they need to do really across their systems in their portfolios. And so Having seen that uptick from clients and even those who have capital, some of them are starting to ask about third-party financing, and we're also talking about it. Can you explain why you think that trend is happening and what you're hearing from clients? Yeah, no, we're seeing that as well, and it's fascinating. I think there's some pretty straightforward drivers, which are exciting, frankly, for everyone who cares about climate change and is looking to make a difference. I um, about Two to three years ago, so call it 2020 to 2021, there were maybe 60 companies in the Russell 1000 that had set uh, binding carbon targets, either science-based, joined the science-based target initiative or in some other way declared a public carbon emissions reduction goal. That number is now up to uh, seven, six or 700. And so what we think is happening is that whether a company's in the Russell 1000 or it's another large organization, be it a hospital or a university, universities were usually way ahead on this. But in the in the corporate sector and in, in healthcare and other major sectors, you see companies making binding carbon commitments. They're reporting on those on an annual basis. That means that those companies have increased their sustainability teams and built out carbon roadmaps over the last few years. And after they build out the carbon roadmaps, and you all are doing a lot of that work for these companies, they put a price tag on it. And you know, it's not a science, it's not a, uh, a statistical uh, study yet that we've done, but I will say that I have had numerous conversations in the last six months that go something like this. Director of Sustainability talking with Renew, about their sustainability roadmap across a portfolio. Director of Sustainability says, we made a a binding carbon commitment in 2020 or 21. We took us a year or two to put that together. We just finished pricing that out. It's several hundred million dollars. We've heard three to 500 million consistently across most portfolios. And my next job is to tell the CFO that, (laughs) and it's not in the capital budget. And so, uh, the number of, of chief sustainability officers that have said to me in the last six months, 
I can't believe I'm talking to you. The timing is perfect is just remarkable. And it's because of that dynamic of, you know, really impressive corporate social responsibility, binding carbon targets. And then, you know, frankly, the cost of meeting carbon goals is much higher than existing capital budgets will allow. And that's where, thankfully, a combination of third party funding, private capital, which is also increased in availability for these kinds of projects, coupled with things like the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, create a road forward to meet these targets at the corporate level. Yeah, I think one of the things we've observed is even with clients that we've had this conversation many times with in the past, where they have said, oh, we've got internal capital, we're good to go. That mentality has shifted. And even if they have the capital, they're still starting to explore and see the benefits of third party financing as they learn more about it. And I think what a lot of these businesses are saying to us is, even though we have this money, we want to put it towards building our own business and not necessarily towards energy infrastructure and improvements. Uh, is that the type of dialogue you're also hearing? Absolutely. It's fascinating. It's it's something that obviously, given what we're new does, <laughs> we've felt for a long time. But every company has internal hurdle rates for their capital. And their capital budgets are typically dedicated to launching a new product, um, expanding into a new product line, building a new factory. And, you know, those are a, those are phenomenal alignment around deploying your capital budget to um, increase the profitability of the company. And so these projects, carbon emissions reduction, energy efficiency, on-site clean energy, they're all very positive and, and, and improve the performance of the company, they can reduce the operating budget, they certainly help meet carbon goals, so they're very valuable projects. And to your point, and we've heard this a lot, and, and we've heard this more and more in the last couple of years, we believe that we're better off deploying our capital budget to grow our business and leaving the funding for this large-scale decarbonization program to renew, which is, and to Edison, which is, because that's your business, you know. The other thing I think that's at play is that often when we heard uh, customers say we have a capital budget for it, they might take a sustainability plan and implement it over five, six, seven years. And I think the other interesting thing that relates to what we were talking about before is that, you know, I think there's a collective realization and again, impressive corporate social responsibility uh, engagement on this, that there are time constraints here that we can't do decarbonization roadmaps over 15 years, that we have to hit 2030 right. goals and then 2040 goals and 2050 goals. And in that context, it's not enough to say, I'll do one-tenth of this over the next 10 years. There's yeah. a real excitement <clears throat> to seeing these projects get done now. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. You mentioned a couple of specifics sort of quickly about financing, but I want to dive into a couple of questions that come up pretty frequently. One of them is I think, one of the first questions that we often get from folks is, what is that cost of capital? There's a perception that there's a very high cost related to third-party financing. And I wonder how you approach that question when it's asked of you. I always answer the question <laughs> because if you don't answer, <laughs> because we believe in transparency and we want people to feel comfortable that they're working with a team that's going to be straight with them. I also begin by saying, in our view, 
the company's return on investment on our investment is infinite because for no upfront capital investment, they're seeing a reduction in their operating budget. And even if even if as it happens with some of our biggest customers, you know, um, Fortune 200 companies that are having us invest in decarbonization programs where they use this energy savings to pay for most of the energy service agreement, but not all of it, they're getting a powerful reduction in operating expense and improvement in, in operating performance, reduction in O&M, meeting tarbon, carbon targets with someone else's money. So I like to begin by saying your return is conceptually infinite. Uh, that having <laughs> been said, the cost of capital for third-party funding like ours varies largely depending on things like size of the project and the credit of the, of the end user. But it's definitely below what the corporate return hurdles are, as I said, for growing the business. And what we're seeing is that the range is typically mid to high single digits uh, uh, for for the return target for third party funding. So that's a, and, you know, in this in interest rate environment, that's that's, um, you know, that's competitive for these kinds of projects and certainly competitive in the context of um, a company's other alternatives. Yeah, I think a lot of people are surprised when they hear that range because, like I said, there's a perception, an assumption, or maybe, you know, rumors or past experience that 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 people are thinking in a different way. Um, so I think it's really important to know. Plus, we always point out there's a lot of different factors, right? The deal structure, the term, all of these things play into, you know, what ultimately is that end rate. So there's a lot to consider right. beyond just that singular, singularly on the term on the rate yeah, and, and 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 you know. That's, so I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things about um, structures like the Energy Services Agreement, which is a, 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 how we fund energy efficiency projects, is that there is a lot of flexibility. We know we we typically will present to a host facility or a host customer a range of options from a shorter term where we would harvest all the savings or most of the savings, which means the customer, you know, uh, works through the ESA quickly and then harvests all the savings at the back end of the useful life, the whole second half of the useful life of the equipment. Or we can offer a much longer term, which means lower payments, obviously, in year one, and they get lots of savings and they see this amazing reduction in their operating budget right out of the gate. So it's important not to get hung up, in our view, on the cost of capital. There's a lot of flexibility and sculpting that can happen in these payments that meet corporate goals in any particular time frame. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, having gone through this with you guys in the past, going through some of those options, sharing that flexibility with clients, I think has landed really well because they don't feel like you come in and say, hey, it's got to be this way. It's our way or, or, or it's the highway. Rather, it's a dialogue and a conversation with their finance team trying to understand what their tolerance is, the types of deal structures that work for them, and I've found you guys to be very flexible in trying to adhere to that. Yeah, really thank helpful. you. I think that's true of, of this approach generally, is that there is a lot of flexibility, and we certainly adhere to that because we are, after all, trying to help our corporate customers meet their goals, any number of, of, of goals, and are try to be aligned around that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then so knowing that there are some different structures on there, can you talk a little bit about the possible impact or lack thereof on someone's balance sheet? Yeah. So thanks, Rob. There are many options for funding these projects. 
uh, for, through a third party. Uh, and one of the ways in which they differ is the way in which they hit about the, uh, the customer's balance sheet. Obviously, if a company uses its own capital or its own borrowing capacity, particularly if they use their borrowing capacity, then you're talking about something that's going to end up on the balance sheet. There are uh, structures that are really effective and, and, and a great approach called a PACE, which uh, is a property assessed clean energy in which the payments for these projects are added to the tax bill. Uh, that that uh, comes with the protection of a tax lien and is in front of the primary mortgage. In some cases, that's considered an on-balance sheet transaction. In others, it's off-balance sheet. Um, the energy services agreement is designed with an eye towards the new uh, Federal Accounting Standing Board's lease accounting rules, which came out, which became effective in 2019. And it is designed as a service payment, meaning that it hits as an operate, it hits the operating budget. But companies have the option of treating it as an off-balance sheet transaction because of the way the energy services agreement is structured. We've done a deep dive on this with some major corporate customers and um, have gotten very good feedback about uh, properly structured the way a project can be structured under the services agreement so that the payments are treated like a utility payment alongside the utility bill. Uh, the now much lower utility bill, um, <laughs> but not as a lease payment, which is now on balance sheet because of the new rules and therefore not on the balance sheet as they otherwise might be. Great. So tell me, if I'm an energy manager or a chief sustainability officer, what advice do you have for those folks on how they approach this topic with their finance teams as they're starting to put together these larger complex plans? Yeah, that's such a great question, and it's one that we're really excited to be working with Edison on tackling, uh, because ultimately, and and as it's evidenced by that story I told at the beginning, I mean, I've had that conversation numerous times in the last year where a chief sustainability officer says, I'm meeting with the CFO next week. I met with the CFO last week. I have to put together my presentation for the CFO. And the the power of where we are on the decarbonization goals that are being made by large organizations and major corporations is that it's risen to a strategic priority that is reported out that is um, that for which leadership is accountable to both the to the board and to shareholders in the coming year or so we can expect accountability to the SEC on this. Yeah. So, you know, it's a corporate priority. And, and, and in that context, meeting your carbon goals is now a strategic discussion for the senior, for the C-suite, right? And that means this chief sustainability officer is in the, in the room with the CFO, with the COO, with the CEO, uh, layering in these goals and these programs alongside the other corporate priorities, right? And so our advice is that there are partners that can help you present this in a way that's strategic, um, that is uh, additive to the overall corporate, to the, uh, to the other corporate priorities, that, that can, it can, it, that it's part of a profitable, healthy business in the 21st century. And that with the all the structuring options that are now available, 
the CSOs can lean on firms like ours to help them present a range of strategic options. Whether they end up using us or not, we're happy to be part of that conversation that says, let's not be scared of this. You know, let's not the five, right. let's not let the five hundred million dollar price tag suggest that this is um insurmountable, but let's treat it as a strategic opportunity for the company, working with the right partners to to help make this a part of a larger strategy for building a healthy 21st century company. You know, the thing I like about what you just said also is a conversation we have quite often with our clients, which is, you know, when most times historically, when you're doing project, you know, based financing, you might go out and look at a solar project and find a developer who's got bringing financing and you're working through that PPA for that particular project. And then you might be looking at lighting or something like that and then have a whole nother master service agreement or something that you need to work through. And I think what's been really refreshing about this approach is the ability to really do that within one vehicle and add those projects as they come along. It seems like it would really streamline the process for folks as they're trying to do this and really accelerate that pace, like you mentioned. Yeah, I love that point. And, I, you know, again, we believe that that's the future is to is to, to is to think of these projects not as as one offs or as sites or as site level decisions. Right. It's obviously, the specific projects, the way they relate to the performance at a particular site, site leadership needs to own it, be involved, feel like they they can run it and manage it. No question about that. And. In the context of decarbonization goals, there's just a great power to thinking of this of, of a decarbonization program from the corporate at the corporate level, you know. Yeah. And as you said, think about what that saves in terms of um, time, money, deal costs, lawyers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's there's just a real power to coming at it from at a strategic level. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. No, that we've seen that be a great advantage to taking this kind of an approach. So, you know, I'll sort of wrap up on my end with, I think one of the reasons this partnership is so uh, interesting and valuable is because we have such complementary services to each other. And, you know, we're able to do a lot of the feasibility and technical analysis, investment grade audits um, to really give you the basis of understanding for what these projects can be. What can you describe about how a relationship like this can work and the in the the benefits that it brings to be able to to give you guys the important technical information that you need to really be able to give clear idea on how these projects can be financed? Yeah, no, I'm really glad you flagged that because I, I you know, in keeping with the theme of our conversation around being strategic, the ability to tackle a decarbonization roadmap with a set of strategic partners that have worked together, that know how to work together, that complement each other, again, maximizes the impact and minimizes the complexity, right? So for us to have a partner who has a national footprint, who can do the pieces that feed in to creating a really clear picture of a program that, you know, from the project level on up to a multi-site level, to be working with a partner that can do the carbon analysis, uh, develop the proposal, implement the design build and manage the O&M. None, you know, what I love about about our partnership and about the way we've structured Renew is that we don't pretend that we're going to do all of that stuff, right? That that would be right. both very complicated and it would eliminate some opportunities 
to create efficiencies and to get really good pricing for our customers. You know, we've been involved together in a project with a major corporate where you guys are doing the design build, we're doing the funding. And because we're not trying to be all things to all people, we were able to bid out every single contract and get the absolute best pricing for every scope. So I love the fact that we're not vertically integrated. At the same time, by through our partnership, we're really strategic so that so that a customer has one uh, well-aligned partnership with yep. whom they can work for a whole decarbonization program. And again, you're not asking people to process 15 different relationships in, you know, yeah, in yeah. different parts of the country with some people doing one part and then other people doing another part. It's really a strategic conversation that starts at the top and has a long-term view and a, and a national scale. Yep. Last thing I guess I'd open up for you is if you have any parting words for anybody who might be listening to this and and, and thinking that they need to approach this and, and wondering where to start, any advice you have for those folks? Yeah, I think we've touched on it in a couple different ways, but if you think about where we are, there's a lot of aspirations for corporate and, and institutional decarbonization. There's a lot of companies that have made those commitments. There's a lot of companies that are reviewing those commitments. And I think the sort of common reaction I see from partners and potential customers is is anxiety. <laughs> and and, I, and you know, with with great with great aspirations obviously comes significant anxiety, but I think one of the things that we're seeing is that the partnerships exist, the technologies exist, the funding exists to tackle um, aggressive goals. So I would say uh, have have faith that you can set aggressive goals and get them done. Excellent. Great words to close on. Charlie, thank you for joining us on Green Mike. It's always great collaborating with you. Always enjoy spending time with you. And, uh, you too. and especially the work that we're doing together with clients. It's really exciting. And hopefully we can uh, bring some more folks along and really accelerate their efforts to decarbonize and keep pushing forward. Yeah, this has been really fun. Great to talk to you, Rob. We love working with you and we're really excited about the future. All right. Thanks a lot, Charlie. Look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye now. Find Green Mike on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts.